Watzer Center, an independent feminist nonprofit comprehensive health care provider in Bangor, Maine. Join us as we explore topics that impact our sexual and reproductive health and lives. Here's your host, Aspen Rulin. Aspen uses they, them pronouns and is our client and community advocate. Hello and welcome to another episode of Reproductive Left. I'm your host Aspen, my pronouns are they, them, and I'm here this spooky season to talk to you about witches and midwives, two of my favorite intersecting groups of people. While this will become increasingly obvious as the episode progresses, I want to point out that this is really going to be through the lens of Western European and white colonized American history. This means that the historic knowledge we have is also through a strictly cis-centric lens, as these are cultures with rigid gender binaries. What a witch is, and if the concept even exists, varies a ton from culture to culture, as does birth and pregnancy management. One great example of the latter is that people in Ethiopia figured out cesarean sections where the person giving birth and the baby survived way before most Europeans were even washing their hands. First, what's a witch? While it's often seen as a gendered term to refer to women, it isn't inherently so. The most broad definitions describe a witch as any practitioner of magic or someone who holds supernatural abilities. Other definitions more specifically define a witch as practicing more nature-based magic as opposed to a wizard who would be more alchemical-based, while others still specify being in league with the devil or some other evil force. The definitions vary greatly, not just from culture to culture, but also whether you ask the witch or the one burning them at the stake. It's also important to consider how this definition has shifted over time, as a self-described witch today who works to connect with the pagan practices of their ancestors may not have been called a witch in ages past. Before we get into the history of witches and witch hunts and their connection with midwives, I want to explain what I mean when I say midwife. Today, you can become a certified midwife through education and training that varies from place to place. In some states in the U.S., however, home birth midwifery is fully illegal, which is, of course, just a gross example of the disregard for the autonomy of birthing people. Ugh. Historically, midwives were women who learned knowledge on pregnancy care, abortion, and birth from their mothers or other women in the community. Related to that, we have doulas. Most often, we tend to think of doulas in relation to birth as someone who's had some training or experience to provide support to a person giving birth. While that's an important facet of being a doula, they can also provide support to someone accessing abortion care. I've even met death doulas who support individuals and their families who are in hospice care. Midwives and other women healers in the time of witch hunts used the resources they had at their disposal to provide care to their communities, chiefly herbal medicine and a hands-on knowledge of reproductive health. In the eyes of many, especially those who read texts like the Malleus Maleficarum, this was enough to suspect someone of witchcraft. The Malleus Maleficarum, or Hammer of Witches, was a text written in the 15th century by Catholic clergymen. This was meant to be a guide on how to identify sorcerers and witches, and strongly encouraged torture to get confessions. 
It also endorsed killing so-called sorcerers and witches. At the time of the Malleus Maleficarum's writing, heresy was a punishable crime in Catholic Europe that could be met with burning at the stake. The book's author elevated witchcraft to that level. Prior to this, much of Catholic Europe's attitude towards witchcraft was that it was indeed forbidden by the church, but didn't have such an aggressive stance towards addressing it. It's important to know that living in Catholic Europe was not like a 24-7, 365 days a year, centuries-long Salem witch trial. That also isn't to say the witch trials that happened weren't horrifying. They absolutely were. I have seen some numbers of how many supposed witches were burnt at the stake, inflated to 9 million, and I just want to make sure we have a realistic idea of what happened. Most scholars agree that the number of witch trials that ended in execution is somewhere between 40,000 and 60,000, with wiggle room to account for poor record keeping. Even though that's way less than 9 million, that's still horrifying. While some parts of Europe did overwhelmingly charge and execute men with the supposed crime of witchcraft, like Iceland, overall, European witch trials targeted women, with an estimated 75-ish percent of those executed being women. Let's go to Abby with a Mabel's Fast Fact. The first 3D sonography of the stimulated clitoris was completed by French researchers in 2009. To learn more about the clitoris, visit the News from Mabel's blog on our website, mabelwadsworth.org. I mentioned before that the witch trials of Europe weren't like the Salem witch trials a lot of us may be familiar with. One key difference is the approach. While witch hunters like Matthew Hopkins, who was a self-appointed witch finder general, absolutely stoked fear and weaponized it in the witch trials, these were still organized. The text, Witches, Midwives, and Nurses, A History of Women Healers by Barbara Ehrenreich and Deirdre English says, but in fact, the witch craze was neither a lynching party nor a mass suicide by hysterical women. Rather, it followed well-ordered legalistic procedures. The witch hunts were well-organized campaigns, initiated, financed, and executed by church and state. I mentioned before that some parts of Europe, like Iceland, did primarily target men, but that overall, women in Europe were the primary victims of witch hunts. This is unsurprising when you consider not just the culture of Catholic Europe in this time period, but the fact that the Malleus Maleficarum focused on women, with quotes like, when a woman thinks alone, she thinks evil, and all witchcraft comes from carnal lust, which in women is insatiable. Wherefore, for the sake of fulfilling their lust, they consort with devils. It is sufficiently clear that it is no matter for wonder that there are more women than men found infected with the heresy of witchcraft. And blessed be the highest who has so far preserved the male sex from so great a crime. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the Malleus Maleficarum's Arthur would get along great with incels. This is also a great example of how arbitrary the rules of the gender binary are. In this time, it was women who were seen as the most 
lustful, and that this overabundance of lust was an inherent part of their biology. Today, though, people will swear up and down that cis men are the most inherently horny. It's almost like biological essentialism is bullshit. Funny how that works. With the preoccupation with women's sexuality, we can see where the witch hunts and witches get connected to midwives. Along with making men horny and making men impotent, other proof of someone being a witch could include providing contraception or abortion. Add in the fact that midwives and other women healers utilize the resources at their disposal, like herbal medicine and their knowledge of the human body, and you won't be surprised to learn that they were targeted in witch hunts. While the use of herbal medicine is what might stick out to us the most today, conjuring images of potions and cauldrons and eye of newt, which side note, is just another name for mustard seed, it was that knowledge of the human body that was often targeted. Remember that quote earlier from the Malleus Maleficarum, when a woman thinks alone, she thinks evil. The idea of women having independent thought in Catholic Europe was seen as a huge threat to the entwined church and state. Even outside of witch trials, women healers were punished. Another passage from Witches, Midwives, and Nurses reads, Take, for example, the case of Jacoba Felici, brought to trial in 1322 by the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Paris on charges of illegal practice. Jacoba was literate and had received some unspecified special training in medicine. That her patients were well off is evident from the fact as they testified in court, they had consulted well-known university-trained physicians before turning to her. The primary accusations brought against her were that she would cure her patient of internal illness and wounds or of external abscesses. She would visit the sick assiduously and continue to examine the urine in the manner of physicians, feel the pulse and touch the body and limbs. Six witnesses confirmed that Jacoba had cured them, even after numerous doctors had given up, and one patient declared that she was wiser in the art of surgery and medicine than any master physician or surgeon in Paris. But these testimonials were used against her, for the charge was not that she was incompetent, but that, as a woman, she dared to cure at all. While she wasn't tried as a witch, Jacoba Felici is a perfect example of much of the root of the witch hunts, a fear of women having knowledge and power. Her trial had nothing to do with a concern for the health of the community, but of controlling women. This attitude can be seen carried on through time with the rise of male obstetricians that deliberately pushed midwifery to the fringes, along with disallowing women from practicing medicine outside of pregnancy and birth care. Obstetrics as a practice was created to be wielded by men to control pregnancy care and birth, rather than to support pregnant and birthing people. That's not to say that's how all obstetricians practice today. Personally, I know a bunch of very lovely obstetricians who center the needs and wants of their patients. That being said, 
it's an observable fact that the U.S. has an incredibly high C-section rate, with 31% of births being delivered via C-section, while the World Health Organization estimates that only 10 to 15% of C-sections are medically necessary. Some of these are requested by the birthing person, sure, but most aren't. And studies show that there are spikes for C-sections being performed that coincide with mealtimes and end of shift. While there are providers in that field who are amazing, it is clear that the historical roots of obstetrics influence medical models of care today that prioritize control and efficiency over well-being. Let's go back to Abby with another Mabel's Fast Fact. Are you looking for a primary care provider? You're in luck. Mabel Wadsworth Center started offering primary care last year and we're still welcoming new clients. Learn more at MabelWadsworth.org. Before we get back to witches, I want to talk a little bit more about midwives and what I mentioned earlier and how some states have laws against having a home birth with a midwife. This passage from Witches, Midwives, and Nurses explores that issue and the ramifications. But the American obstetricians had no real commitment to improved obstetrical care. In fact, a study by Johns Hopkins professor in 1912 indicated that most American doctors were less competent than the midwives. Not only were the doctors themselves unreliable about preventing sepsis and ophthalmia, but they also tended to be too ready to use surgical techniques which endangered mother and child. If anyone, then, deserved a legal monopoly on obstetrical care, it was the midwives, not the MDs. But the doctors had power, the midwives didn't. Under intense pressure from the medical profession, state after state passed laws outlawing midwifery and restricting the practice of obstetrics to doctors. For poor and working class women, this usually meant worse or no obstetrical care. For instance, a study of infant mortality rates in Washington showed an increase in in infant mortality in the few years immediately following the passage of the law forbidding midwifery. For the new male medical profession, the ban on midwives meant one less source of competition. Women had been routed from their last foothold as independent practitioners. Just like in the case of Jacoba Felici, the priority was not the health of the community, but in driving women out from having an important role in it. We're still seeing a devaluation of the lives of pregnant and birthing people in prenatal care, during birth, and postpartum care. We've already discussed that in regards to C-section rates, but there is unfortunately far more evidence of this devaluation, especially especially when we take into account people with marginalized experiences. Today, Black women are three times more likely to die of pregnancy or birth-related issues than white women, not because of any inherent health issue connected to race, but because of medical racism. A 2016 study found that about half of the medical students and residents surveyed held false beliefs about biological differences between black patients and white patients, 
and that those who held these beliefs, which includes examples like black people's nerve endings are less sensitive than white people's nerve endings, also viewed black patients as experiencing less pain than white patients, and subsequently would suggest inappropriate medical treatment for black patients. With this study in mind, it is not surprising that black pregnant people and other pregnant people of color have worse health outcomes around pregnancy and birth. What's a witch or midwife to do? While the witch hunts are in our past, it's obvious that pushing women out of the healing world and centering white supremacist values in healthcare has had and is still having negative ramifications. Bans on abortion and gender-affirming care alike mirror the patriarchal control wielded in the witch hunts, as does the criminalization of pregnant people who have miscarriages. We all know the drill about fighting for abortion access, but don't leave behind the importance of the full reproductive justice picture. It's not just a catchy phrase I learned from Sister Song, but rather the human right to maintain personal bodily autonomy, have children, not have children, and parent the children we have in safe and sustainable communities. Support your local black midwife. As far as witches go, there's still a lot there we have left to untangle that I couldn't get to today. Like how a lot of the images we still see of witches in media are anti-Semitic caricatures, and how Jewish women in Catholic Europe were particularly targeted by witch hunts, or the fact that a lot of modern white witches today engage in cultural appropriation, an example of colonizing values. While there may be much more on the topics of witches and midwives to learn, I'm glad you all joined me this spooky season to delve into the topic. Happy Halloween to those who celebrate, and I'll see you next time for Reproductive Left. <laughs>